Welcome to the Fun Time Program. Welcome to the Fun Time Program. We are your hosts, John Andrew Fredrickson and Vivica Volt. And today, Vivica, we are talking about kink. Yeah, one are, of my favorite things to talk about. Are you a little excited about this episode? Ah, uh, I mean, excited is an understatement, but yes, I'm definitely into what we're going to be talking about. So why are you so excited about kink? Well, because I feel like more people should talk about it and I think it should be a little bit more normalized. Um, although by definition, if uh, kink got normalized, it wouldn't be kink anymore, but that's neither here nor there. We'll get that, get to mm. that in a second. Um, but also like kink is just really fun, for, especially for me personally. Like I'm a really kinky person. So I like to explore a bunch of different things and I like to talk about all the different things that I like to explore. So it's just really fun for me to get to share that with other people, especially people who are not as deep into this world as I am. How deep are you into this world? Are we, are we making a size <laughs> joke right now? Cause like, I'll let you answer that. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe a little bit later. I'm maybe that deep. will come out. I'm over pretty, the course of the podcast, oh, and maybe people, that'll come and, out, and people can can make. I'm going to be making a lot of bad puns. You're going to have to make their own me. decision on that question. Uh, I'm curious though. When when did you realize that you were into uh, non-standard sexual interests? Um, I think I kind of realized that at like 19. Um, I have always kind of leaned towards. Um, being more on the dominant side of things. And when I was 19, um, a guy that I went to college with asked me to be his dominatrix. And it was it, this something that he, he was already into or are you both kind of exploring it for the first time? He seemed to be already into it. He seemed to know, like he had an idea of like what he wanted and like what he was into and like thought and he, that I would fit that mold really well. And he got the vibe from you that you would be a good fit for it. Okay. Yeah. And he wasn't wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so here I am years later. What uh, was that like your first experience with kink? I mean, it was really exhilarating to be honest because, um, I got to, uh, explore sides of me that I had kind of always thought about and like maybe had like little fantasies about here and there in my head without actually having like anyone to properly, uh, explore it with so mm. having someone who not only wanted to explore it with me but was like really enthusiastic and had much more of a vision of what they wanted to do than even I did um was really really fun for me so mm. how important is that in, in discovering you know your kind of uh desires when it comes to kink to be able to explore it with people who maybe have more experience with you um it doesn't necessarily mean, okay, so you don't necessarily have to explore with someone who has more experience, um, but it's definitely worth exploring it with someone who is willing to learn the right ways to do things and the right ways to be safe about things and is willing to um, listen to your boundaries and listen to uh, your concerns and also uh, vocalize their own boundaries and concerns um, and uh, find a way for both of you to meet in the middle, um, in a way that, uh, is not only healthy for both parties, but is also just genuinely fun for both people. So it doesn't feel like one person is like being dragged along while the other person's like, Wee, this is great. So mm. yeah, that's not as fun. Mm, interesting. So it sounds like communication is a huge thing. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, one of the biggest parts of uh, just like the kink world is communication and being able to have a healthy amount of communication across the board so that um, everyone can feel uh, heard. Everyone can feel safe and everyone can feel like they're getting their needs met. Hmm. Would you say that, that people who have learned how to engage in the kinkier side of um, sexual exploration in a healthy way, would you say that they have uh, better communication skills as a result of that when it comes to relationships? Um, I would generalize and say, yeah, a lot of times you have uh, better, you have more practice at your communication skills. And most of the time, more practice means that you're going to get better at it. But I mean, if you're practicing the wrong things or you're practicing it the wrong way, um, you're not necessarily going to have better communication skills. You're just going to be able to communicate more. Hmm. Um, but that doesn't always mean that it's better. But it's a matter of um, how you uh, find ways to communicate your boundaries and your needs and find ways to get both your needs met while meeting your partner's needs and also uh, being healthy about it across the board without um, being abusive. Mm, that's, I mean, that's a really great question. How do you, how do you uh, toe that, or not toe that line, how do you, how do you figure out that, that line where, where, where kink and sexual exploration can kind of, you know, uh, run afoul of, of healthy uh, exploration? Oh yeah, absolutely. So, um, one of the biggest issues is that, um, abuse can very easily hide under the umbrella of BDSM and kink. Um, but if both parties, um, have very clear boundaries before engaging in any kinky or BDSM type, um, of scene, it's a lot easier to make sure that you're not being abused because if you're able to say, Hey, so here are the things I like, here are the things I don't like, please don't do these things. And that person's like, okay, cool. Well, those are the only things I'm going to do. I'm going to do all the things you said you didn't like. Okay. That's abuse. Mm. Um, is that something that you see often in the kink community? More often than it should be seen, but it's not inherently, more common in the BDSM community than it is in any other mm. um, community across the board. Like, Fair enough. That's interesting. Are, Assholes are everywhere. Yeah. In every <laughs> walk of life. Yeah. Well, that's, that's interesting. So maybe we should take a step back and, and just talk a little bit about like, what is kink? What is BDSM? How do we define these terms? What are fetishes? What's the difference between these terms? Why don't we, why don't we start with that? What, what is, what does kink mean to you? Uh, well, what kink means to me and what, kink means in general. Um, so kink is, uh, a type of sexual activity that is seen to be outside of the norm of sexual activities. So basically anything past like your like standard three sex positions. So missionary cowgirl and doggy style. Wait, those are, those are not vanilla. No, those, those are, are vanilla. Those are the standard three. Got you doggy style. That's pretty that's pretty kinky though, isn't what? it? What? Isn't it for some people? I mean, it's it's not the the Bible approved way. I mean, I feel like once I you're mean, venturing outside of our Stone Age ancestors <laughs> and what they <laughs> described as healthy sexual activity to us, then then maybe you're in the kinky area already. But I that's guess. interesting. So so those three positions are generally considered vanilla. Vanilla. Yeah. And as soon as you or, are quote unquote normal, which so, so I with, really hate 
the term normal, by the way, because that just stigmatizes everything that isn't those three things. Mm. So would you say that things like oral, oral sex and that kind of stuff? I mean, some people consider that kind of kinky. Some people, I mean, I would consider uh, oral sex pretty standard um, and pretty within the like vanilla range of things. But like, obviously, oral sex has uh, multiple facets. So like it can get kinkier. Right. Um, doesn't always start kinky, but sometimes it can get kinky. Okay. So that's, that's vanilla. Yeah. Now basically mm-hmm. kink is just anything outside of that that becomes sexualized. Uh, yeah. So pretty much anything that isn't your standard, like run of the mill, like basic, uh, sex, um, is what we would consider kink. Mm. Um, especially things that are considered quote unquote deviant in some way Mm. or, um, unusual. Um, but also it's really good to make the distinction. So kink and fetish tend to be interchangeable words and they tend to be thrown around kind of interchangeably. Um, but, uh, fetish is a lot more pathological. So a fetish is something where, um, you cannot have sexual arousal without a particular stimuli, um, versus a kink where, it's really nice to have it, but it's not a requirement. Interesting. Okay. So kink is, is kind of like things that you add to your tool belt in terms of your sexual arousal and your sexual interests. Yeah, absolutely. And then fetish is when something becomes kind of more front and center in your brain and absolutely. starts to become a requirement for you. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. So what is BDSM then? So BDSM um, stands for, and it's entertaining because it stands for a lot more than you think it does. It stands for bondage, dominance, discipline, submission, uh, sadism, and masochism. So technically it's BDDSSM, but it's just easier to call it BDSM. And let's define those terms. So so what what do those terms mean exactly? Bondage, I guess, is being tied up. Yeah. Pretty simple. Pretty straightforward. Pretty straightforward. Dominance. Again, pretty pretty straightforward. straightforward. Someone who is taking more control of a situation um, discipline that sounds similar to dominance, but I guess it's different. Uh, it's under the same umbrella, but it has different connotations. So discipline are like discipline usually means that there are rules, um, put in place. Like, uh, you cannot have an orgasm until this thing is met. Or I like when you walk into the house, you must always wash your hands before anything happens or like little rules that in order for, things to be heightened, you must follow these rules, whether they're in a strictly sexual situation or they're leading up to that sexual situation. Mm. So that's where the discipline comes in. What was next? Submission. So submission is really fun. It goes right along with dominance. Obviously it is the, uh, other side of the same coin. You can't have a dominant without a submissive. Um, and I mean, I'm pretty sure most people understand what dominance and submission are. Yeah, yeah I think that's self-explanatory, but then sadism. Sadism. Okay, so sadism, sadism is actually one of my favorite things. Um, it's inflicting pain in a pleasurable way on someone else. So there's like dangerous types of sadism where you just enjoy inflicting pain in a not pleasurable way on other people. Um, You would also be classified as a sociopath. 
Um, and that's where it becomes abusive. Yeah, that's pretty abusive. It's pretty abusive. Um, but but sadism doesn't have to be abusive. It no, can not be. at all. So um, sadism and masochism um, go hand in hand, just like um, dominance and submission go hand in hand. Um, you can't really have a sadist without a masochist and vice versa. So a sadist is someone who enjoys inflicting pain. Like I enjoy flogging people or I enjoy paddling people. So I'm inflicting a certain amount of pain, but I'm also making sure to stay within their thresholds and making sure not to harm them. I'm not trying to actually harm someone. I'm not trying to hurt someone. I am trying to inflict the right amount of pain for it to be pleasurable. And Again, that kind of leads into what a masochist is. A masochist is someone who enjoys receiving pain um, in pleasurable amounts from someone else. Or sometimes themselves. Like we're all a little masochistic and we all <laughs> inflict a bit of pain on ourselves, whether physically or emotionally. Interesting. Um, but that's... Uh, whether or not you get sexual arousal from the pain that you inflict on yourself or allow others to inflict on you is uh, different. Interesting. So, so these are, you know, these words obviously can be used in non-sexual ways. But when we're talking about BDSM, we're talking about kink. We mean the way that they're being used in, in ways that is sexually arousing for the people engaging in them. Usually, yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. interesting. So what are some common kinks then that, that you've come across? So some of the more common kinks, you've got stuff like impact and impact is kind of the umbrella term for um, any time you are hitting someone with some sort of uh, tool or your hand can be a tool too. So if you're spanking or you're whipping or you're paddling or you're flogging, um, slapping, if that's a thing that you're into, those are all forms of impact. Um, because you were literally impacting someone. Um, then, of course, we covered dominant, uh, domination and submission. That's pretty standard. Um, like, What does that look like in terms of a sexual setting? Um, so what that looks like in a sexual setting is before uh, a dom and a sub would set up a scene, they would negotiate their boundaries as to like what a sub isn't and it, is and isn't willing to do uh, what the dom is and isn't into and uh, what would be pleasurable for both parties. And then the dom is someone who is going to navigate how to control the scene based on that given information. So if uh, you say, I really like being spanked and I want to be spanked today, I'm going to find a way to incorporate spanking into our scene, but I'm also going to potentially test little boundaries as long as we have discussed it in advance. Like, oh, well, I also kind of like being called names and tell me I'm a good girl. Okay, cool. Well, I'm going to try to incorporate that in, in a way where, okay, well, you have to earn it from me in some way. So there's a little bit of a power exchange that's happening, but it's mm. happening in a way that has already been pre-negotiated and is uh, safe and consensual for both parties. That's interesting. It sounds like um, kind of a formal setting for for this encounter. Can dominance and submission happen in less formal settings? I mean, can it can it exist in a completely vanilla sexual encounter, for example? Yes, it can without you really realizing that that's exactly what you're doing. Right. Because I think it's very common in, in sexual encounters for one partner to be more dominant and one partner to be more submissive yeah. without even discussing it. It's just they kind of feel out, you know, and, and sometimes people don't click. 
you know, right. maybe they're both kind of dominant and, you know, they're not really into it. They're, or it like, two, two tops, don't they say two tops bounce off each other yep. in the gay world? And I think that can happen in, in any sexual encounter mm -hmm. if people don't vibe because they don't have the right level of dominance and submission to balance each other out. And some yeah. people are just very versatile and, and, and able to switch. So, so I think these things can be much less formal. Mm-hmm. Um, and people often, I think, explore them in ways that they don't even realize that they're kind of exploring a little bit of BDSM Oops. without formalizing it, without really like engaging in it intentionally. Absolutely. That's really interesting. Okay. So it's also uh, really fun because you have situations where you don't realize that you're you may not necessarily realize that you're engaging in BDSM or you are looking for someone who is a little bit more dominant or someone who's a little bit more submissive. Um, but you don't necessarily realize that that's what you're looking for. You might just be like, Oh, well, you know, I really want someone to kind of toss me around in the bedroom. Okay. Mm. So you're actually looking for a dom or, Oh, you know what? I really want someone who just lets me tie them up. Okay. So you're looking for a sub. Like I want someone who lets me be in control. Okay. So you want a sub. Um, it's interesting. So these things can kind of happen naturally mm -hmm. without people even realizing it and not having the language to to uh, discuss it or yeah. to kind of engage in it intentionally. And they kind of just like feel their way out through the dating scene and through their experiences with other people until they find somebody that they're compatible with. Yep. So this stuff definitely, I think, already happens without people recognizing that they're involved in kinky uh, activity. That's, yeah. that's really fun to think about. <laughs> so so let's let's keep going. I mean, we have a pretty fun list here of things that, that you've uh you've written down uh you, you talk about i clearly hate this stuff <laughs> you talk it's about such a pain to talk about the restraints and rope oh okay so isn't there another word for that um yeah so Sh shibari so shibari is a specific type of rope art okay actually so um you can engage in rope play without necessarily having it be shibari okay. shibari is uh, a specific type of rope play that is a lot more intricate in the uh, ties and is really artistic in the way that um, the ties finish off. And shibari can also translate to suspension. Um, and suspension is where you are tied up in a way that you are literally suspended from the ceiling in some capacity where your weight has been taken off of the ground and has been put onto the ropes completely. Um, but suspension is a little bit more difficult in that, like you have to understand your ropes really well. You have to understand and trust the person who's tying you up, um, really well. And you also have to communicate with each other really clearly so that you both know, okay, well, how do you want to be tied? Do you want to be vertical? Do you want to be horizontal? Do you want to be upside down? Do you want to have like one leg up? Do you want to like be more of like a mermaid pose? So having that communication ahead of time is really important. Mm -hmm. And we can uh, obviously post links to different types of shibari and like different images of shibari because it's really beautiful. Um, and like rope play in general can be just as easy as like tying up your wrists, which I did, by the way, uh, have some things for show and tell today. And one of the things that I brought for show and tell is some rope. So would you be willing to let me demonstrate some rope on you? Absolutely. Let's see what you got. Okay. So this is my rope. As you might have already guessed, I really like the color orange, just like a little bit, um, <laughs> you know, just a can that, can that be a kink? I mean, 
can you be aroused by something as um, mundane as orange as a color? Um, I mean, technically, you probably could. Anything can be a kink, really. Um, if it exists in the world, someone has a fetish for it. Yeah, that's that's rule 34. That's a variation of rule 34. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just to be clear, anytime that you're playing with ropes, especially if you were tying somebody else up, if you're tying yourself up like this is a little less of a necessity, but it is still something that you want to uh, keep in mind. If you're playing with ropes in any capacity, you want to make sure that you're being really safe about it. Mm. Um, some of the easiest ways to be safe about it is you're going to avoid the joints. So you're never going to tie your elbow. You're never going to tie on the wrist. You're never going to tie on the knee. Um, you're going to tie where it's fatty. So you want to make sure like there's a little bit of muscle there. There's a little bit of fat there um, so that there's a little bit of room to give with the ropes. Um, also, when you're playing with ropes, you always want to make sure that you have safety scissors oh, wow. on hand. Okay. So these are rope specific safety scissors. So these aren't like just your average, like, I'm just going to cut some paper scissors. No, these are uh, rope specific safety scissors. And you can get this pretty much anywhere ropes are sold. And they have a little protection mechanism on the tip so mm -hmm. that as you're sliding that in underneath the rope, you're not going to cut somebody. That's really smart. Exactly. Which is part of why, like I said, uh, rope specific. So if you get in a situation where um, someone that you have tied up is incredibly uncomfortable or they start panicking, um, it may not be advantageous for you to try and undo all of your ties, especially if you're doing something, uh, like suspension where there is a lot of rope involved. You're using like 90 to 120 feet of rope and you're doing multiple knots and it takes, um, almost an hour to get tied into, uh, wow. the harnesses that you need to be in for shibari and what ends up happening is it's not going to be as long to get untied but it's still going to be a significant amount of time to untie so if someone starts panicking and needs to be out of the rope immediately that's why you have your safety scissors so you can cut them right out that's so interesting to think about i mean i've heard about like safe words for example when you're engaging in in play uh mm -hmm. kinkier kind of things that you know might in might include you know verbal um back and forth yeah. where you need to be able to recognize when somebody act actually wants to break out of that and and maybe the, just being stop. able to say the words yeah stop, stop everything things like yeah. that you know maybe maybe that's part of the play so you need to have other kinds of words that, mm -hmm. that enable you to, to break out of it but but in addition to that when you're when you're engaging in restraint play and rope play you actually need physical things to break out of it as well that's yeah absolutely so like different types of restraints have different safety mechanisms. Um, rope is one of those things where your safety, your safety mechanism is your scissors. Mm. So you know for a fact that if worst case scenario happens, you have a very quick and easy out. Yeah, you might not want to like cut your ropes, but I would rather cut my ropes than do permanent damage to someone. Right, absolutely. Um, because playing with ropes, you can run the risk of causing long-term nerve damage and uh you don't again this is not about harming someone else you do not want to harm someone so it's better to have the safety precautions in place so you don't you don't harm them and obviously take classes so you know what you're doing you're not just like watching one youtube video and figuring i know exactly what the fuck i'm doing nope go to a class yeah 
talk to an expert, talk to someone who actually knows what they're doing, uh, read some books, make sure you ask questions, ask people who have done this, uh, for longer than yourself so that you have the right knowledge that you can feel confident when you start doing this, um, that it doesn't, you're much less likely to injure someone. And it sounds like it's just as important as somebody who might be a sub and maybe thinks that they don't need to know all this stuff because they're the one who's kind of being subjected to it and they're not the leader in the situation. So they're going to trust somebody who knows more about it and kind of can, can introduce them to it. But if you don't know, the red flags, right? If, if you haven't taken the time to learn how this is supposed to work, you may not be able to recognize when somebody is maybe um, doing things to you that is not not correct and not healthy. Right. So if you're like, you're someone who's curious about being tied up, and you want to try it out for the first time, and you go to a party, remember parties? Oh, mm. my God, remember <laughs> parties? Ages ago. <laughs> <sighs> Back in the day, which was a Wednesday, by the way. Um, so if you're in a social situation where you are potentially playing with a new person, whether it's someone that you met off of Tinder or someone that you've been like dating for a little while, but this is your first time like trying a little foray into the kink world. Um, one of the fastest and easiest ways to make sure that you are playing with someone who is safe, if they have ropes they should also have scissors. Mm -hmm. If they don't have scissors, don't fucking play with them mm. or just don't play with them with ropes. Right. Like, right. And you can play with someone who doesn't have scissors. If every step of the way they are checking in with you and making sure that you are okay and making sure that you are in no way uncomfortable. And I'm going to show you what I mean. May I see your hand, please? Oh, do you want both hands tied up? We can start with one. Okay. So we're going to do a single column knot. So I just need. So maybe let's hand. describe what's happening for people who are just listening to this. Okay. So what I'm going to do is John has given me his wrist. Very lovely wrist here. I'm going <laughs> to Vanna White it. So I'm taking the bite of the rope, which is the center of the ropes. And it's doubled back. So, so you have two strands in your, in your hand in the loop. Right. And so I'm pulling the entirety of the rope through the bite to create a loop. Okay. And now you have the initial loop of the knot. So it is basically just a slip knot, right? Okay. So slippy slidey. Um, and you're going to want to make sure that you leave a little bit of room in the ropes because you can always make it tighter later but you don't want to start too tight at the very beginning. So then we're going to go around and you're going to make sure your ropes never cross over each other. So they're always laying flat Why as they're going around because if they cross over each other and like kind of make the like, um, if they're crossing over each other, what ends up happening is it's applying pressure. Um, it's not, it's not consistent pressure. So, right. you, so where it crosses over, it ends up digging into your, into your hand. Yeah. Your it has the potential of, um, applying uncomfortable pressure or being damaging in some way, that makes especially sense. depending on where you're actually tying. Right. So this part right here is really about, uh, personal preference. You can go one loop around the wrist or you can go multiple, um, just to eat a little bit of the rope, we're going to go a few times around the wrist. So 
And you're not doing this at the the joint. You're nope, doing this about two inches above the, the joint. Away from the joint. Okay. Um, one of the best parts about staying away from the joint is obviously when you move a little bit higher up on the wrist, um, and a little bit higher up on the arm, your arm is a little bit thicker. So if anything were to happen or things start to pinch, you have the ability to push it down, oh. which gives you a little bit of wiggle room. Um, because once you lock this, uh, knot into place, there is no wiggle room. It's not going to get looser as you go along. Like the way you tie your shoes sometimes, like, you know how like the tie becomes loose as you're walking around. Yeah. That's not going to happen if you do this properly. So now that we've gone around, um, we're going to go around four times cause I'm feeling frisky. <laughs> Um, so we've gone around four times. We're going to go across the ro uh, ropes, just check all the way around, make sure that everything is lying flat. And it is. And so now we're going to go back to our original loop that we created. Um, so you have the two rope section of the loop um, that's attached, that created the slip knot with the bite. Um, and you're going to take your uh, rope, your remainder, and you're going to slip it through. And now you're going to pull it backwards, creating um, tension on the rope. And here, hold your, hold your hand still. I was going to show it to the camera oh, more. Yeah. So you're creating this tension right here. And then. For those of you who are uh, listening to this podcast, you can always check out the video form on our YouTube. That's Fun Time Program on YouTube, as well as FunTimeProgram.com. Okay. So as you're doing this, you should always be able to get a finger under your ropes. Why is that? Um, because if you can't get a finger under the ropes, you're already tying it too tight. Mm. And from here, I am going to tighten it a little bit. So if you can't get a finger under at this point, it's already too tight. Got you. Um, so don't flex too much. You can just set your elbow back. Like... Get getting comfortable okay so i have a finger underneath and i'm going to use that finger to help me hook the rope so we're going to go under all four layers that we've just created and gone loop-de-loop -loop around so you're essentially wrapping it around again underneath all of them yes okay so you're wrapping it around the layers and you're gonna Pull that through. And if you were doing this with two hands, would you just be wrapping around both wrists or would you wrap one wrist first? You wrap it around both wrists, but that's a different tie that's actually called a double column knot. Uh -huh. um, and it's there's a little bit of a variation of how you do this tie with um, the double column. OK, um, so now you can kind of show the camera. I've created a little bit of a like I've created a loop down uh, under all of the ropes. And notice I haven't pulled the rest of the ropes all the way through yet. I still have the remainder coming through. So what you're going to do from here is you're going to pull the remainder of the rope through that loop. Just push it through. Now pull through and tighten. So now you essentially have a cuff. Yeah. And from here, you can tie this cuff to other things. Yeah. So from here, if you drop your weight. Right. I have full control of your arm. And because it's it's wrapped around, what is it? 
the six, eight strands of rope because he mm-hmm. did it four times with the double double strand, it doesn't feel like an individual piece of rope really pulling against your skin. It's actually quite comfortable. Mm-hmm. It's and cool. it's still loose enough that, again, I can still uh, just about get a finger right. all the way under. So finger, 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 finger. <laughs> um, so that, again, if anything were to happen, I can easily slip my safety scissors right underneath and cut, 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 cut. Right. Um, so what's the quick release for this if somebody needs to get out? So... Besides the scissors, obviously. Besides the scissors, this is actually a really fast tie to get out of. It takes a lot longer to get in than to get out. So now I've loosened it up enough that there should be no discomfort. Wow, yeah, that's amazing. In five seconds. That is awesome. Well, thank you for the little rope demonstration. So for for people who are, for for whom uh, rope play is a kink, this would be a sexually arousing experience. Just witnessing it, just experiencing it, just having somebody tie the ropes around them, even without going into like a sexual encounter, but just like being exposed to it would be sexually arousing. Yes and no. So yes, it is like, it is sexually arousing to be exposed to it and have uh, demonstrations around you. But part of the kink of the ropes is feeling the constriction of the ropes against your skin, feeling the way the rope rubs against your skin um, is part of the sensuality of it. And uh, so you have multiple different facets. Some people really enjoy the way that it like kind of constricts blood flow just a little bit, especially in um, suspension where it kind of gives you a little bit of like a lightheaded feeling while also engaging in a little bit of pain, but again, within like a proper threshold. So it creates sensations that are outside of the norm. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Wow. So like, as you noticed, um, when you had your arm all tied up, it kind of has a silky feeling, right? Mm, yeah. So because these are nylon ropes, they are going to feel really silky and really smooth and soft against your skin. So it feels like you're being tied up with silk. Um, these are also referred to as Japanese silk ropes. Um, same, same. Um, but most people use uh, jute or hemp ropes, which are a little bit more rough mm. and uh, a little bit more coarse. And so there is something to be said about feeling the coarseness of those ropes against mm. your skin. And so that can also lead into other types of play where you have um, like the damsel in distress kind of a thing, or, uh, of course, like part of bondage is, uh, having your movement restricted in some capacity. So I could basically do two single column knots on each wrist, Mm -hmm. tie them together. And now both of your arms are in my control, or I can pull your wrists together and do a double column knot around your two wrists and now you can't remove your wrists from one another right. and your movement is further limited. So it's like a more elaborate version of handcuffs. Right. And so <laughs> uh, with ropes, you can kind of create just about anything that you're in the mood for. So if I wanted to create a harness where I put a handle on your chest, I can take a few minutes to tie you up and create a handle. And if I already had two single columns around your wrists, I could tie your wrist to that handle. Wow. So there's a lot of room for creativity. Mm-hmm. 
That's really interesting. So you can kind of take rope play and restraint play in, in many different directions. And Absolutely. And that's where shibari becomes an art form um, mm. because there is a lot of creativity behind it. And there is a lot of ways that you can be incredibly creative and artistic with the ropes where you're going more for design than necessarily for feel. But the feel is also part of it. Interesting. And so you mentioned that it's really important with this kind of uh, exploration when you're just getting started in it to go to classes, to get instruction from people who are more experienced in it. Mm-hmm. Um, how, do, how, do you, how would you recommend going about doing that, especially in the middle of a pandemic? Uh, in the middle of the pandemic, it's pretty difficult. But there are plenty of uh, teachers who are hosting online classes. And in those online classes, so you don't necessarily have to be in person to have um, an instructor, but you definitely want to have someone who can answer questions for you in real time. Mm. Um, so not just watching a video, but actually doing an online class. Right. right. Yeah. Um, because having someone um, answer questions in real time allows you to like most classes, what they'll do is you'll have your own ropes and or borrow a set of the teacher's ropes and you're trying to follow along and like monkey see monkey do. Right. So you're trying to copy what the teacher is doing and they're obviously giving you step-by-step instructions as they're doing this in real time. Um, but sometimes you're going to run into a situation where you're like, ah, what, what did you mean by adding tension? How do this doesn't, this is really loose. I don't, how did, why does this not look like yours? And having a teacher be able to look at your work and go, ah, okay, so let's go back and go through the steps again so that we can see where you, uh, went wrong so that we can create, uh, correct it for next time. And having that hands-on learning and having that, uh, course correction early on will always help you learn faster. We're social creatures. We learn from each other really Mm. well. So especially in something where you are potentially running the risk of harming someone, you definitely want to make sure there's that redundancy. So you'll always, um, having a really great teacher always explain, Hey, by the way, you want to, here are all of the nerves like going down your arm that you could potentially damage if you fuck this up. So here's how not to fuck this up. Hmm. Um, I had a really great teacher, my uh, first class named Aaron Houdini. Um, and was that here in New York? It was here in New York. Um, I'm not quite sure if she's still doing uh, classes or if she's doing online classes, but if she is, we'll definitely link her information. Um, a world renowned teacher who I'm almost positive is still doing classes, but she wrote a book and her book is fantastic and 10 out of 10 would recommend. Her name is Midori and she actually used to be based here in New York. I believe she's since moved to LA, which disappointing because we miss her. Um, but she used to do classes at the pleasure chest, which is a national chain of, uh, like sex toy shop. Um, but they would do different classes in the, like, they'd have like a basement area that they would do classes. Um, and she used to regularly teach classes at the pleasure chest and her classes are phenomenal. If you Hmm. ever have the opportunity to, uh, sit in a class with Midori, I highly recommend it. And if you don't check out her book, because also highly recommended. So generally speaking, it sounds like sex stores 
are often great places to start to ask mm -hmm. questions, you know, if they know anybody who's doing classes or absolutely or even just Googling stuff online and seeing what kind of online classes you can find. Because I guarantee you right now, especially during the pandemic, we're all trying to learn new things. We're trying to learn new things and people are trying to find ways to teach stuff online now as opposed mm -hmm. to, you know, what wasn't as common in the past. So I think those opportunities are definitely out there. Definitely a recommended way to start. <laughs> because this episode got a little bit longer than we had been anticipating because Oops. we had a lot to talk about, we are going to break this up into three parts. That was the end of part one. If you're interested in hearing more of our discussion on kink, you can find part two on our website, funtimeprogram.com, as well as on YouTube and on any of your favorite podcast sites. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next one.